0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cabot Cove Gazette, the world's best murder show podcast. I am your co-host, TJ.
1: And I'm Bridget.
0: And this week, we are coming to you to talk about the episode, When Thieves Fall Out, the second episode of the fourth season. So, Bridget, what is this episode about?
1: Well, this is one of those episodes that largely hinges on something that happened in the past. Those are always Mm -hmm. a little tricky to describe. So, in the present moment, we have a guy rolling into town. And stirring up trouble. And the trouble he's stirring up is because he's actually been in prison for 20 years over a murder he didn't commit. And he's come to Cabot Cove to find out who did actually commit the murder. Uh, It was some drunk guys who ran him off the road 20 years ago and then took a bunch of bearer bonds that the driver had with him. He's been falsely accused of all of that. And now that's all connected to the retirement of Cabot Cove's beloved high school football coach and his star players who are at his retirement party, it turns out. One of them and the coach were the people who ran the guy off the road and took the money.
0: Yep, and killed the driver.
1: And then killed him because he saw them taking their money. Yep. So, of course,
0: if you are a frequent listener of the CCG, you'll recognize that this is the episode I went on at length,
1: even though we <laughs> hadn't actually covered it with the Cabot Coke Gazette yet. I think. That is much more forgivable than me pretending to know what the heck you were talking about when we had never even watched this episode yet.
0: Right. And I mean, <laughs> also the fact that you didn't know which episode I was referring to, even though you've watched all these episodes even more times than I have. It was a hot mess
1: of a conversation.
0: It was, it was a absolute hot mess. But I will say that I love this episode for two reasons. One, because I obviously love it because it's in Cabot Cove. But I also love it because I think it raises some really interesting moral questions. And it's one of the very few times that I am not in Jessica's corner by the end. Yep, me too. And I, I, and my mom and I uh, have talked about this episode extensively because you know because of the moral questions that it raises. And she is you know with aligned with me that JB is actually way out of bounds by the end.
1: She is, and it feels very off her normal characterization. Yes, it does. And we're certainly going
0: to have to talk about that as we go along. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, like, I think this episode, as with so many of this Cabot Coke Gazette episodes, is really fascinating because of just how dark it is. Like, it's one of the ones where I feel genuinely, like, how do I want to put it? Like, perplexed, maybe, or just kind of, like, disturbed about this what happens in Cove sometimes it's like when John Astin ended up being the murderer, I was like, Oh my God, how could John Astin be a murderer? Um, but I, I like it for that reason, just because it all, it does sort of shine a light that sometimes I, even idyllic small towns can sometimes have a darker side to them that might not be obvious from the outside.
1: Yeah. And this one has um, a lot of dark sides. <laughs> so it's, we have it's, a lot of murderers running around Cove. We sure do. But, but to your point, I think part part of what makes it so dark and sinister this time and just feel really, really sad this time is that um it it's a murder that's so far in the past mm-hmm. that these people have been keeping the secret for 20 years and that Jessica knows them. And it's because, you know, these were her former students that she's now friends with. It's the football coach who was like romantically interested in her before Frank came along, like. The fact that, like, she didn't know they were involved in this horrible murder and they let somebody else go to prison for it. Um, that's part of what feels so sad to me, I think. Whereas, like, yeah, when John Aston, the new sheriff, commits murder, it's terrible. And she – remember that scene where she confronts him and she has tears in her eyes and saying, I wanted to be wrong? But at least it was right then in the present. It wasn't like we've been sleeping with the enemy for all these years, which is what right. we have here, right? It's terrible
0: yep I mean, this is one of those episodes where where the emotional heft is really significant. Like it's not that obviously murder isn't always terrible in murder. She wrote. But this one seems, as you say, to have like an emotional texture in an emotional weight that I don't think we always see with uh, other murders because we don't and even though we only meet these characters in this episode, so convincing is the writing and the performance that I think that that's what allows it to have this kind of significance that otherwise wouldn't be there.
1: Yeah, Jessica describes them as some of her oldest and
0: closest friends. Right. I mean, this is a co- this is someone as you say. Like we have that moment at the the retirement party where the where Kevin, the football coach, is kind of like gushing over Jessica. Like he's clearly still smitten with her, mm-hmm. even though you know sh- they've never materialized anything romantically. And you know he's a remarkably affable. He kind of has an Ernst Borgnine kind of look to him, yeah, like totally, and, and kind of like that same genial avuncular. Very believable as a high school football coach. Like that was some peak casting right there. Like he embodies that kind of appearance and demeanor that one associates with small town football coaches. Certainly I do, having come from a small town, not unlike Cabot Cove, except not nearly as charming.
1: I mean, among the football crew, we have Bill, who's the car dealer. He's the one who ultimately was involved in the crime that night with the coach. Um, and his wife, Allison, who ultimately is the one who comes to Jessica and is like, you have to help me figure this out. Um, then there's the guy who's the judge now of the town. So again, that adds like gravity to this, right? Mm-hmm. And another guy is a wheelchair in a wheelchair now, and he's suing Bill because he says one of the cars he sold him was a lemon and it caused his accident. And that's why he's in a wheelchair and he's actually faking it. Jessica finds out. Um, And he's fallen out with them. And the other guy, we don't actually even really see, but he's the fourth member of their crew and he's just perpetually drunk. He's an alcoholic. So it's pretty serious stuff. Yes,
0: it is very serious. I mean, that's part of the reason I like it. Because, you know, usually the Cabot Cove episodes have a lightness to them because of Amos, because of Seth. And I mean, I like them too, but i that's part of the reason I find this one to be both very out of the norm, but also yeah. refreshing for that reason. Like, I think yeah. that this one, you know, shows us that life isn't always as picture perfect, as postcard ready as we necessarily would like Cabot Cove to be.
1: That's true, because this is an episode in which Amos is the investigator because we're in Cabot Cove, but he's not doing the bumbling Amos routine at all. Right. Um, when he's involved, he actually knows what he's doing and he's very serious.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Because I
1: think the I think they understood that this is not one of the goofy, cozy episodes, right? Yep. So can we talk about um, Durbin, though? Because he's yes. uh, he adds this other sort of dark element. So he's played by John Glover, uh, who we've already seen before and loved him. And we gushed our praises for him. Do you remember that? I do. In One White Rose of Death. I hate that episode title because I can never say it.
0: I just don't like that episode because it has You Know Who in it, but...
1: I know, but he was our would be defector. He was. He wanted to defect and we loved him. And now he plays this. This is so like on brand for John Glover, though. He plays this guy who rolls into town. He's rented someone's house for a few weeks. Um, he has a really cool car, but ultimately Jessica learns that he's there to figure out what happened the night that he was hitchhiking innocently as he was like an anti Vietnam protester who just hitchhiked around the country. He got picked up by this guy. They get run off the road. He gets accused of this guy's murder. And so he's in Cabot Cove to try to figure out what happened that night. And he leaves, like, really sinister little messages for everyone. Like, uh, he's creepy, right? And he even has this tense confrontation with Jessica where she's like, I have a solid alibi for the night Bill, Bill ultimately gets murdered. And he's like, I have a solid alibi for that. I didn't do it. And Jessica's like, I know, but, like what you're doing is still wrong, right? There's this, like, really Mm -hmm. tense standoff between them. And I think – I really like that. I like that it's on brand for John Glover. He always plays these sort of, like, amoral, like, confusing characters. But it's Uh also – I think it's a kind of, like – it's a kind of questionable morality that we haven't really seen since Lovers and Other Killers. Yep. Where it's, like, someone isn't actually doing something illegal, and they are not the murderer, but, like, ooh, they can't be trusted, and what does that mean? Right. I mean, what's so
0: striking about this character is that he literally has spent 20 years, not only in prison, which would be bad enough in and of itself, a truly horrifying, harrowing experience, but for a crime which we now, which we know, and he knows, he did not commit. Mm-hmm. And so, like, as questionable as some of his actions may be, I found myself sympathizing, because it's like, of course he's bitter, of course he's furious, that right? everyone in this town was complicit in what either... Either uh, cognizantly or not, in his false conviction, yep. and that they are,
1: yeah, absolutely, and that they
0: are so determined to, that they would rather preserve the myth of what their town is and who they believe their neighbors and friends to be, than acknowledge the justice of or the injustice that has been perpetrated.
1: He actually tells Jessica in that conversation that she has a bizarre sense of justice, and I think. I think that's exactly why, right? Because just a few episodes ago, when days dwindle down, we see her staunchly advocating for someone who's gone to prison for a crime he didn't commit. And quite similar, right? He was there the night the murder happened. He was going to do something slightly illegal the night the murder happened. It's very similar circumstance. And in that case, she's like, you didn't do it. We have to find out who did it. Like, come on, you guys. I know it was a long time ago, but this is really important to have the truth come out. And here she's like, Mm -hmm. you should leave things alone. You're stirring up stuff. And he's like, I'm trying to get justice, right? Like, what is wrong with you, lady? Yeah, it's an
0: interesting take for Jessica. Like, and I mean, but it makes sense in a way because, I mean, it's one thing to be able to be willing to like go to bat for someone who committed, who was wrongfully imprisoned when that person doesn't have a a connection to your town or when their actions aren't going to have any sort of like direct impact on your life. But, you know, we also know that JB is very, defect or defensive of Cabot Cove she's very defensive of the people that she has been around and you know has taken under her wing at times and so I I think that this one just cuts close to the bone in a way that we haven't necessarily seen in quite the same way before
1: I mean I can understand your point and I appreciate that you're trying to give us a reason to like understand maybe what the writers were thinking um but yeah we also know that she's she's very quick to turn people in when they've done murder, right? Like she might overlook other things well, that's like, true. Oh, the lesbian mom kidnapping, right? because that was in the better there's in the better interest of the child to <laughs> overlook that, right? And nobody else was being hurt by that right. but like she turns in her friends, she tells her friends to confess she like we see this all the time in the Cabot Cove episode, so well, that's true. So do you, I mean I have to I guess the thing I would wonder about
0: from you from your point of view as the one who's I think has the broader deeper knowledge of all of this than I do like do you find this to does your frustration with this episode lie with its being out of character for Jessica or does it lie elsewhere or do you think this is out of character as well I think it's at.
1: out of character so if we look at that like um the you know after the after the football coach is ultimately caught. And I want to talk about that scene, too, because she has some lovely things to say in that one that I think are really interesting. But the football coach is caught. She We cut to her and Amos eating pie that night in her house. And you think, ah, oh, finally, we're going to get, like, the cozy resolution where everything's okay. It's not because Durbin shows up and we get one more sort of gloomy conversation to close the episode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's, like, he's leaving town and she's, like, good. <laughs> she's not nice about it at all. And he, she says, I can't help but think justice could have been served in a better way. And he says, well, when you figure out what that way is, you let me know. And the last shot is her closing the door and leaning against it, like, overwhelmed. I mean, that's such a lovers and other killers ending, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah, that was my first thought. My mom hates that. She hates the way, like, well, let me rephrase that. She's very much like, Jessica's way out of line, like that's way off base, like to to yeah. act as if he's to blame for what happened, that he is somehow exactly wrong in the wrong for pursuing justice when he was the well, one wrongfully imprisoned exactly. is a deeply troubling thing.
1: I agree with your mom because he was wrongfully imprisoned and then all he has done is return to Cabot Cove to investigate to find out who did it and try to bring them out into the light. Right. That's it. That's all he did. So someone got murdered along the way, but he didn't do that. Right. Yeah, the other, the other person did, right? So like in the world of murder, she wrote, we don't usually blame that person, the person in his position for this kind of stuff. That is true. We blame I, murderers for being murderers. Right. Right.
0: Yes, yeah, so I'm wondering like what is it about this that makes it different for Jessica? Like if we if we're, I I'm just try- I'm still trying to give the writers grace. If you want to like
1: <laughs> if we buy into that this is different somehow and not just like bad writing, like yes, then the question yeah. becomes like why is this emotionally different for her, right? Right.
0: I mean, is it because of the just the unique relationship that ha- she has with um, with Kevin? Like, is that the explanation or that it's her students in particular that were involved? Like, I'm just kind of trying right. to figure out what it is that motivates her to be so. No,
1: because we've seen former students and we've seen close old friends before and <laughs> right. she didn't have any problem turning any of them in.
0: Yes. Yeah, so maybe she did. Maybe she had an affair with Frank or sorry, with Kevin. Maybe that's what <laughs> this, maybe that's the reason. Ooh, TJ, now you're getting interesting. Yeah, so well, that's, now maybe that's the explanation that we need to sort of give us the missing piece to why she's so deeply antipathetic to, to, you know, this guy coming back and dredging all of this up.
1: So when she confronts Kevin, she's sort of going around town talking to all the different people and eliminating them through, you know, clues that they leave. And it, it, we kind of get to the point where it's like, uh, there's nobody left. It had to be him. Yeah. And so the next scene is her arriving at the football stadium where he's sitting. And you're like, yep, this was all that was left, right? And she walks, he's sitting in the bleachers and he's looking out at this empty field. She comes up to him and she says, one of the advantages of age is the storehouse of memories that we get to replay over and over. Now, I don't want to give credit to this episode, TJ, but if we give it any credit and we say there's a reason that Jessica's different in this, then I wonder if it has something to do with the fact Not just that she has a close relationship with Kevin, but that he's facing retirement, she's retired, and they're both looking back on Mm -hmm. a career, and they're both – they know the future is probably shorter at this point than the past, and there's something about the poignancy of that.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, because the first thing that Kevin says when she arrives is, you caught me, Jesse." And then he says, you caught me, like, in a reverie of listening mm-hmm. to the, the roar of the crowds. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, as much as I find Kevin's, like, actions deeply reprehensible, which I'll get to in a minute, like, I find, like, that whole, the whole confession scene makes me feel, like, gross. Like, I just feel, like, and deeply angry because I get very over-invested in murder <laughs> and, like, in the injustice of it all. But it's just really striking, like, that reads to me as a very emotionally honest moment because when you mm-hmm. do reach that point in your life, like what else does he have left? Like now we, we subsequently find out that, you know, he killed not only someone in cold blood with a rock, but then he also killed the very like football player who looked up to him. Like, yeah. and who was his accomplice in all of this. Yeah. So, you know, he has He's, nothing left. The,
1: the kid who is part of this team that he talks about as his glory days,
0: his boys, like the, you know, mm-hmm. that the, there is a unique bond that exists between like, coaches in their team like i don't understand i having never been a, a sports person but i under like i understand it in an abstract cerebral way and so you know that's part of what gives that whole scene its devastating impact is because you know as we find out kevin has given up everything and gotten nothing for it yeah because you know as we find out not only like you know he's the one who ran this banker off the road and then saw the bonds there and as he explains Well Bill
1: kind of did because yeah, Bill was Bill drunk was... and jerking jerking at the wheel, right? right? So it's kind of an accident that they ran him off the road. But then,
0: you know, he sees the bonds and as he tells Jessica he just goes crazy and takes a rock and literally bludgeons this guy to get to death. Like yeah. it's horrifying. And then hides that lets someone else go to jail for it and lives for twenty years. But then of course takes his half of the money and ultimately like doesn't Wastes have it. It, yeah, has nothing to show for it. And so So he invested
1: it in this football camp that was his
0: dream that didn't go anywhere. So it's like all of this horrible stuff that he did ended up being for naught. For nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something, there's something very deeply like tragic about it that is, you know, kind of devastating for us Mm. and for the audience and for the the characters.
1: Yeah, definitely. As
0: you can see, I'm very invested in this episode.
1: (laughs) You're very invested in this episode. It's very sweet, actually. You know what else I noticed about this, though, and I think this adds to it, is that it, there's no Seth. Right. Uh, and I hate when we're in Cabot Cove and we don't have a Seth. And honestly, the doctor who's filling in for him is an idiot because he can't tell that it wouldn't be a suicide because it was from the, the gun would have been in the wrong hand. Like, come on. Seth wouldn't have made that mistake at all. Yeah. But I think I think actually we uh, we need not to have Seth because it helps build the intimacy between Jessica and Kevin. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, she's so close to Seth that it would like kind of get in that way. Yep, especially since he calls her Jesse, which almost nobody does. I knew you were going to comment on that.
0: Yeah, the only other person we regularly hear was Ethan, who, of course, is and no you longer hated one. him. I just think that Jesse is just too much of a diminutive for for J. Like JB is okay, but Jesse is just
1: well we too... call her JB.
0: Well, yeah, but that's <laughs> different. But it's. I don't know. It just feels too, a little too cutesy for Jesse. for Jessica Fletcher, but it it's in keeping with this kind of character who is so you know who embodies a very specific kind of small town football coach masculinity. Like that mm-hmm. reads as authentic to me.
1: Yeah. So do you feel like he is um, taking the narrative place of Ethan?
0: I think so. I mean, I think he has that similar kind of affect and fulfills a similar kind of emotional function in the episode which i think is why it feels so devastating
1: what do you think happened to ethan anyway
0: i think he got a better offer to move to some other seaside town where he can do whatever it was he was doing (laughs) i don't know
1: being a fisherman yeah you think he's still alive okay i like to think so that's nice okay
0: but i mean you can also see the toll this takes on jessica like when she has this confrontation with kevin and you think about how like it's not just that he committed a murder, which would be bad enough. And it's not just that he held on to this knowledge for 20 years and let an yes. innocent man go to prison for 20 years. He then kills one of their mutual students. Yes. and Someone he had a very long-standing relationship with. That's, I think, the most troubling thing. Like, as horrifying as the original murder is, mm-hmm. it's at least explainable insofar as it was a spur of the moment, not premeditated. Mm-hmm. He lost his mind. Whatever. He killed Bill in cold blood. Like, that's a very different scenario. Maybe that's the motivation for why Jessica's so upset. Like, would he have done that had Dermot not come back and dredged all this up and, you know, sought out the way he was seeking justice in the particular way that he did?
1: You know, I think you might be onto something there, TJ, because um, in the appointment for death, the Layla Lee episode, her student Liz is the one who's murdered. And we definitely see um, a sort of a bloodhound, sort of zealous quest to find the murderer in there. And I think it's because that was her student. And that's really personal for her. And like anyone who's a teacher knows mm-hmm. that feeling, right? It's like your kid sort of. Um, and I wonder if that's part of what we're seeing here. It's like Bill was her student. He was a bad student, but that was like part of the joke was that she knew he was a bad student. And now he's an adult and they've become friends. And so thinking about, this other guy, who for whom he was also a student and a kid, like took his life. Maybe that's part of it too. Maybe, maybe there's something about um, Jessica ha- having that sort of teacherly relationship,
0: right? And the murder is all the more horrifying because, like, Bill truly idolized Kevin as a father. Like, it's not just like any old schmuck that he, you know, decided to to murder yeah with a you know, it was someone who with whom he had had a long-standing and deeply you know important emotional relationship and bond and so like that's what makes kevin so monstrous but yet the fact that he remains so affable and so sort of like you know has that every man kind of demeanor it's like these two mutually exclusive categories that just kind of like exist in the same person and it's very hard for us to wrap our heads heads around that like to make sense of and to reconcile these two different things. And I think that Jessica also struggles with that.
1: I think part of also what makes her seem out of character in this for me is the way that she responds to finding out Durbin was an Mm -hmm. ex-con. Like even before we understand that he was falsely imprisoned, he says he has to talk to Amos. He's got some papers that need to be signed and, jessica later learns at the football party that um they were parole papers and he's out on parole and she's like really shocked she's like oh but he's so intelligent and charming yeah how could he be an ex-con it's like you're jessica fletcher like you know better than that first of all lots of felons are intelligent and charming and second of all if he's out on parole like you're jessica fletcher you should be like listen, he's starting over, we need to support that. Yeah, it, that did
0: feel a little bit out of character. Like, that felt to me like a, a not-honest character moment, to be honest. Yeah, right? It just felt very, you know, exclusionary in a way that we don't necess- don't usually see with Jessica.
1: I mean, she literally worked in a prison and was, like, supporting the women there. Yeah. And now suddenly she's like, ooh, prisoners. Ugh. Yeah,
0: I mean... I, I, I don't believe I, it. I wonder if the, the writers just thought because she's in... In Cabot Cove at that moment, maybe her sort of small-town parochial attitude's kicked in. I don't know. I mean, but I agree with you. It doesn't read as authentic and as jarring for that reason.
1: So let's talk about other aspects of this that are small-town and parochial, namely J.B. Fletcher's fashion corner. Yes. (laughs) So what I find so interesting about this episode, if we can, like, be a little bit more lighthearted here with our remaining minutes – is that in the last episode we see high fashion and such glamour, mm-hmm. and her wardrobe is so sophisticated. She's in Paris, and here we have very much a different Jessica. Like she wears a dress to the party because, of course, she dress up for a party. But it's like it's really much chinsier, and we see her in jeans and a sweater at one point. And I just, it's so thoughtfully done how different it is to register that like, this is still a lady who likes to dress up, but mm-hmm. she's in Cabot Cove now. And I really appreciated what the wardrobe right. people did for that.
0: Yeah, I did too. Like I like when we get these more comfy images of Jessica that pose, as you say, with the more, I don't know, sophisticated looks that she sometimes has in other locales.
1: The only gripe I have is that at one point she, we actually didn't see her riding the bicycle, but she's getting ready to get on it. And she was wearing a dress and dorset pumps.
0: Oh, yeah. And I'm
1: like, why? She's in Cabot Cove. She would be wearing pants and loafers. Why on earth would Jessica Fletcher be riding a bicycle in dorset pumps?
0: Come on. That is a very
1: good question and a very good point. Do you know what dorset pumps are? Nope. I have no idea. Okay. So it's the kind where there's like the toe leather and the heel leather, but the midsection, like the shank of your foot is uncovered ah uh, okay they're very elegant i literally don't know anything i know
0: even less about shoes than i know about like clothes in general
1: yeah well you're idolizing jb Fletcher, shoe fetishes so it sounds like you need to do a little research i mean you're the one who always brings
0: up the the, sh- the footwear so i'm just <laughs> piggybacking on you i'm
1: just saying like the point is like these shoes are not very easy to walk in unless they fit your foot properly they fall off your uh. heel right because there's no like angle strap or anything and we're led to believe she's going to get on a bicycle and, like, honestly, any pump. Let's say she's wearing, like, regular old pumps. Like, she's in Cabot Cove. She'd be wearing Keds or Loafers. Like, she's not going to bike around in pumps. That is
0: absolutely true. P- yeah, please. So that annoyed me. Okay, well, how did you feel about this episode in general? I know you don't like it as much as I do, but do you? were you converted by our conversation or do you still not like it?
1: Oh, do you want to do that? Were we finishing? Yeah,
0: because I'm, like, Very hungry.
1: That's not how this works, TJ.
0: I'm getting a little lightheaded, so I would like to eat sooner rather than later.
1: (laughs) This works, TJ. Um, So you don't want to talk at all about like football and like small town, the way small towns like get excited about football.
0: I mean, I guess like there's not much to say about it other than like that I've already alluded to.
1: Okay. What about the wheelchair guy? We didn't really talk about him.
0: I mean, how long do you want this episode to be? Like we've already.
1: it's only done 27 minutes. Yeah. How much are they? So with editing, that'll be 25. Okay, fine. Listen, I'm just telling you what I took notes on. If you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to talk about it.
0: I mean, I, I've already shot my shot with, with the uh...
1: – And prom, like the whole notion that all this happened on prom night and like how significant prom is. And then like everyone suddenly can remember what happened 20 years ago at prom, which maybe be the kids themselves. But like Jessica and the coach, they've had – like all the proms of their career. There's no way they remember this one specific prom night 20 years ago.
0: Well, that is true. That does, again, strain the bounds of credulity.
1: Strains the bounds of credulity.
0: It's a patented TJism right there.
1: That's a good TJism, yeah. I mean, I will
0: say that, yes. Football is a huge part of small town culture, um, particularly rural, like these kind of rural communities. Like uh, they do, as, you know, I alluded to this earlier when I said that, like, there isn't a particularly strong bond between football coaches and their teams that is not always explicable unless you are enmeshed in that culture, which, again, I'm not in, I'm not personally, but I've seen it manifest in the way that my friends who were football players very much had that relationship
1: yeah, I mean it's just sort of gross, right? Because they're all like their glory days were twenty years ago. It's like, yeah, what the hell have any of you been doing since
0: then? I mean, that is part of the reason I think I'm drawn to this episode is because like it does read to me as very like true to life and how small towns operate in terms of particularly yeah. when it comes to like small town football coaches, like they they live their life vicariously through their students
1: and well, and their relationships. Like she. Uh, they married, they all married their high school girlfriends and Bill, the guy who gets murdered, was trying to convince her to go to a motel and they had a huge fight at prom. And then she just goes ahead and marries them anyway. Like, what are these people doing? They need to take the bus with Jessica into Boston and see some shit is what they need to do. As I say, you're really not from a small town, are you?
0: Again, all of this felt very, very believable to me. as <laughs> as a as a As a person who grew up in a small town in the 80s and 90s, this felt very... Very, uh, like, authentic and true to life. Wow. For better and worse. Yeah, for like, worse, I'd say. Right that right up into including, you know, seedy, sorted events that take... I don't know that there's been any murders in my hometown that I know of right off the bat, but... I think
1: the only part of this that read, reads true to small-town life that I find appealing is the part where Jessica feeds Amos some pie she's made.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that definitely checks out. Like, I, I... That definitely tracks with... I know of your skepticism, shall we say, yeah. the values and virtues of small-town Americana.
1: So I think we're going to land um, ultimately being divided, that I have a lot of gripes with this episode that I don't seem to be able to get past, but you definitely, I think, find a lot of resonance, emotional resonance in this episode and, and think it's really important for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like, you know, I alluded to this earlier, I'm very invested in this episode,
0: and I think about it far more than I probably should. It lives rent-free in my head
1: sometimes. Wow, that yeah. knowing that you've uh, traded all those nudes with people on the internet, but this is what lives rent free in your head. <laughs> yep. Oh uh, uh, well, I mean, it's, that's they're not mutually exclusive. Like
0: they both live there, just in different compartments. They're different. They're different rooms within the same
1: apartment. Okay, building. that's probably a good place to stop for now.
0: That is a good place to stop.
1: So, for the Cabot Cove Gazette, I'm Bridget Keyes.
0: and I'm TJ West.
1: And we'll see you next time.
0: Our theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nakarada used under Creative Common License. You can find us on social media. We are the Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter.